So just a few things to set the scene. And um, can you tell me your full name and the year you were born? Okay, that's like being at the psychiatrist, isn't it? <laughs> okay, I'm Ruth Dunster and I was born in 1961. Okay, and where did you grow up? I grew up in Inverness in the Highlands. And what was your, um, what is your professional work background? Um, okay, my background is in teaching and I'm now writing. Okay. And I suppose just to start off, um, what was, what brought you to the mental health and the arts? Oh, right. That's a long story, but... Um, Okay, so I was in the mental health uh, system and feeling like nothing was particularly helping me. So I thought it was better. Um, and really kind of oh, just really, really struggling. It was a bad time in my life. And um, I'd heard that people were going to, there was a a thing called Project Ability, where you could go and do a bit of painting. Now, I'm not an artist, but I know that being creative is a big part of... It's like there was a bit of creativity in me that was trapped. And I very nervously asked, I don't know, a psychiatrist, I suppose, would I be able to be referred to Project Ability? Um, and I was, and lots of amazing things happened as a result of that. But that's that's where it started. Mm -hmm. So was that projectability? Yeah, that's right. Can you tell me a bit more? I've never heard of projectability. Oh, right. Well, I don't know if it's still there. Um, it was in the Trongate, so quite an easy place to get to in Glasgow. And basically, it was an art studio with um, all kinds of people there, people that were really accomplished artists, people that were complete beginners, all people from um, a variety of issues with mental health. And there were um, the people who ran it were also quite accomplished artists, but they were there to support you. That my memory is it was pretty much just get on and do your own thing and if you wanted advice you would you would approach one of them um so that's what a project ability was i mean it was big there were lots of they put on exhibitions and some of the stuff was just amazing that people had done and it was like the creativity that goes with being sensitive to mental health issues it was just sort of loud and clear there. It sounds like there was a big mix, a mix of people and ages. Yeah, definitely. Um, and there were people there that I would have said were, I don't know what the word is, professional, but really, really, you know, people who could sell their paintings, they were so good. And then there were people like me that were sort of, really struggling to do anything that looked any good but it didn't matter um, and you could be you could talk to people as much as you wanted to or you could do your own thing so 
I tended to do my own thing because I felt quite shy of talking to people. Um, I think I'm just going to, I'm feeling too hot. Yeah, it's really warm in here as well. It is really, really <laughs> hot. And I've got a cup of tea, which is going to make me even hotter, but I'm just such a tea journey. I have coffee. Yeah. So, um, yeah, does that make sense? It does, yeah. I was interested in, because in, it sounded like you weren't put under pressure. Um, what do you mean by pressure? Um, it's just you said that you, you didn't have to, it, it didn't matter what your background was or what experience you had. No, it didn't matter at all. And nobody was judging your work. You know, none of the facilitators were coming up and saying, oh, you should do this better or oh, you could do that to make it better. And I found that really, really it built up my confidence. But um, there is, well, I don't know, does that explain project ability to you? Because there's a next part of the story that I want to get to. All right, okay. <laughs> yeah. Is there um, anything else you want to ask about projectability? Um, I think because I haven't heard of it before, I just want to be clear like, what the medium was, because you mentioned the Tron Gate, um, which I understand is a theatre. No, no, there is, a, there is a Tron Gate theatre, but there's a street called Tron Gate. Yeah, that's confusing. Just round the corner from the Tron Gate theatre which mm -hmm. is in Argyle Street, perpendicular to it, there's a street called Trongate. Okay. Uh, so it was on that street and it was big. It was upstairs above the shops and a really big space, which must have cost an awful lot of money to rent unless they got subsidised rent from whoever, the council or whoever. Um, mm -hmm. But it was a wonderful space and a wonderful location because, you know, I could walk there from the train station or the bus station. So I lived quite far out of town, mm -hmm. but it was still easy to access, which is really important where the location was. And it was just a lovely part of town as well in the city centre. Beautiful buildings and nice shops round about. And you could go to the Trongate Theatre for a coffee when you were finished as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, being included in that space. Yeah. And not feeling that you were pushed out somewhere dingy, feeling that you mm -hmm. were valued enough to be in a space that really was quite special. Uh, that you weren't stuck out in the middle of nowhere in some grotty building. <laughs> so it was really special. Yeah. And just to conclude, um, what time period was this in the recent times? Or? Oh goodness, uh, right, you're going to see my age here. That would have been in the 90, the early 19, the mid-1990s. So that's a long time ago. Maybe 95, 96, yeah, probably 96. Uh, which to me feels just like a couple of years ago. <laughs> but it's amazing. And it was the start of quite an amazing journey, actually. Um, yeah. 
which I'm excited about. I'm excited about telling you mm -hmm. what that journey was, you know. Mm -hmm. That's where it started. Okay. So what was this particular time that you wanted to focus on? Well, something really exciting happened because, I, I mean, I was really... I was really ill. I was really not in a good place and I had zero confidence. So asking for anything just felt like really difficult. You know, this feeling when you're very ill that you don't deserve anything and that you shouldn't ask for things. But all my life I've been on and off a bit of a poet and I've got that kind of nature that is quite poetic. And what I found was that my artwork, well, wasn't terribly good and it wasn't going anywhere. But what was happening was that I would, I was scribbling little things on the side of my artwork, whether it was canvas or paper. And it was those scribblings that were really freeing up my creativity. And, um, you know, there were poems just, just emerging from nowhere in a way that hadn't happened for a long time. And I don't know where I got the confidence from, um, but I just happened to say to one of the facilitators, there's nowhere for creative writing and mental health, is there? And I felt like, oh, I, I've got no right to ask that question. You know, they'll just say, no, don't be stupid. And uh, he said to me, yeah, there's this new thing called Survivor's Poetry. Um, yeah, I'll find out for you. Um, so it turned out that he found out that this new group called, brand new organisation called Survivor's Poetry Scotland were having a performance in the CCA. Do you know the CCA? Yeah. Yeah, the, what's it, I can't remember what it stands for, Contemporary Creative Arts Centre, or Centre for mm -hmm. Contemporary Art, yeah, up in Soki Hall Street. Yeah. So they were doing this performance, and I just had this really strong sense of, I've got to be there. <laughs> I really, I really want to go. So I don't know where I got the courage from, given how ill I was, but I went along and the amazing thing is that well first of all I absolutely loved it I loved the I loved the poems that people were performing and I loved the atmosphere and bear in mind I was completely new but I'd written a poem in the meantime and Larry Butler who was the facilitator gave me this welcome and said well if you have a poem you're welcome to perform <laughs> and I got up on stage and I, I performed this poem and people liked it <laughs> and it was just the most amazing amazing feeling and from there on I do you know it couldn't have been 96 it must have been later than that 98 See how vague my memories are. 98, maybe, because I think that's when Survivor's Poetry started. From then on, I uh, got really involved with Survivor's Poetry. And 
my mental health just got better and better and better. And it was just this real sense that when I really needed it, the right thing appeared. And from somewhere I'd got the confidence to grab hold of it. And I didn't get better overnight. And you never get completely better. But that was really the start of my journey in recovery, you know. I mean, I'd been really... I can't describe how ill I was. It was just awful and I couldn't function in life. Um, And I started to get better. It's just amazing. Does that kind of make sense to you? Yeah, it does. It sounds like the involvement in Survivor's Poetry. Is that the name? Yeah. Did I get that correct? Yeah. (laughs) Um, There's symbiotic with your own personal experience of, of mental well-being? Um, I suppose so. Um, it's just this creativity that I had had been suppressed by my illness and it was like lighting a flame for the fire to start burning again and that that fire had been extinguished. Um, And I amazed myself at the confidence that I found I had. Um, And we we did, I mean, would you like me to tell you about some of the stuff that we did? Yeah, is there a particular favourite memory that stands out? Lots of memories, um, so many memories. I mean, I'm trying to think what are my favourite ones. I mean, basically, we met, I think, probably weekly in small groups and we could bring a poem we'd written or we'd do what we call pre-associative writing, which is where we often started, which is where you just let your pen wander across the page with whatever words come out and you think you're just talking rubbish and 10 minutes later you look at what you've written you think that's a revelation it might be the start of a poem or it might be me getting in touch well it's the same thing me getting in touch with what is really important to me might be what's holding me back might be what I value and every exercise like that seemed to be another little step forward so um, and and writing what I felt was good poetry what an amazing feeling that is of self-worth and it's, it's not just doing something for fun it's much much more than that it's it's your real self coming out. Um, and showing your real self to the world and becoming aware of your real self. Um, with all your problems, and sometimes you'd write angry stuff, and sometimes you'd write funny stuff, and sometimes you'd write um, happy stuff or really sad stuff, difficult stuff. 
Um, and we were all doing that in our groups. Um, so it was therapeutic, but it wasn't, wasn't, there was nobody in, there was a facilitator, but there was nobody to counsel you. I mean, you were your own counsellor. And if you got upset, you know, someone in the group would sort of reassure you. But nobody was telling you what to write or how to write. Um, and we used to have Kayleys, which were amazing. Uh, they were just incredible. And a survivor's poetry, Scotland Cayley, was just, I mean, I'm from the Highlands, so I know what Cayleys used to be. They weren't formal things, they were informal things where people would get together and I don't drink and I can't remember if they had alcohol or not. But I mean, traditionally a Cayley is people get together, have a few drinks, friends and family, and then when the drinks flowing, all the old stories would come out and someone would sing a song and my granny would be the first up to dance. And Survivors Poetry Scotland Cayleys were like that. They weren't orchestrated. They were much more, right. Um, Donna, you've read a poem. That was great. Thank you. And lots of applause. Now, Ruth, would you like to read a poem? And I'd get up and read my poem and there'd be lots of applause and somebody might get up and sing a song. Um, I don't think we ever had dancing as far as I remember, but we didn't need it because we were, our spirits were dancing. <laughs> it's just, it was just amazing. And that was where we really started to get to know each other and a couple of relationships would start up maybe and friendships because when you're mentally ill, it's really hard to form friendships. But if you're becoming intimate with people through sharing your real selves, you start to form real friendships and that was something I hadn't had for a long long time and that was amazing and uh, we went away sometimes we went away for yeah the big one was we went to the Survivors Poetry UK um, get together um, I can't remember where in England it was but we got funding and we all went down the bus and that was a much bigger performance event and that was really exciting, you know, being part of the whole UK thing and performing in front of a bigger crowd and having the confidence to do that and hearing other poets and some of them were just amazing and that's something that would have been beyond my wildest dreams. So that's a really, really happy memory. I was trying to play the guitar to accompany this girl who wanted to sing and we couldn't agree on what the tune was and it was all a bit from this, but it didn't matter. You know, the, there was a spirit of nobody was judging or criticising. Mm -hmm. And I, well, the next thing is how I started training to be active as a facilitator, but I mean, is there anything else you'd like to know? Um, just a bit more detail. Um, when do you know when was the national competition? Was it every year or? Well, I know we only went once. Um, so I don't, I don't know. There must have been others, but does it still happen? Know. Does it still happen uh, today? I don't know. Survivors Poetry Scotland. Um, 
lost its funding, which is a tragedy, so it, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, it lost its funding somewhere in the early 2000s, um, <clears throat> which is awful. It's just an absolute tragedy. If somebody needs to start something like that again, I don't somebody does need to. Um, but that was a one-off, and it was what a buzz it was. Um, yeah. Sounds like you really built up a community. We did, and some of us still keep in touch to this day, which is amazing. It really is. And people that you really value and you really respect and, you know, you... I'm not going to say soulmates because that sounds more intimate than it is, but, well, good metaphor is people on the same page. Um, people, mm -hmm. people who are creative like you um, that you really admire, you know, and really... I mean, there were some very old people and you just knew that nobody was going to be able to fix them. I think of one person in particular who was very, very old. And I think Survivor's Poetry was about the only place he could go where he felt safe and he felt valued. And I don't know what happened to him, but I just knew that he wasn't going to get better in the way that some of us were going to get better, but it was so good that he was there. Um, you know, and uh, it wasn't sort of magic potion that would make you better. It was just a step along your journey. And it's been a really long, hard journey, you know, that's still ongoing. Um, I can look back and think, you know, the magic. Um, just before that, um, my psychiatrist, who I didn't know, but he was instrumental in supporting the start of Survivor's Poetry, and I didn't know that until a long time after, but he was the one who initially said, somebody came to him with the idea, and he said, right, I'll give you a room in uh, the community mental health centre for free, just so you can give it a go. And he gave it his backing. Um, just before that, I used to see the psychiatrist every week. And he was trying his best to help me. And it was banging his head against a brick wall. Because I, I don't think anyone was getting through to me. And he was trying and trying. And at one point, he said to me, I think what you should do is go and read Wordsworth's Preludes. <laughs> And what an amazing prescription. So he was aware of uh, arts on prescription. And that was way, way back in the 90s. <laughs> so it's quite astonishing, really. Um, yeah, what else can I tell you? Um, just... Um... The very beginning, it sounded like it was a really natural transition from painting into poetry. Yeah, it was a big step forward. Because um, you were okay. writing, you were yeah. writing on the on the paintings. Yeah, 
I was, and it was the writing that was the important bit, not the images. But they kind of worked together. It was almost like a collage of words and images, and the words brought the images to life, I thought. And I, I still do that to this day. I journal and I, I get out colouring pencils and I write, uh, and I, I do that every day to this day. Um, wow. Yeah, it's really powerful. Um, even though we don't have any asparagus poetry, and I don't, I, I did go to another mental health and, and painting project or arts much, much later, um, probably about 15 years after that. And I had the confidence to just really have a go at painting. And I painted a self portrait, and you know what? I really liked it. I really, it was amazing. I mean, would you like me to tell you about that? Because we're jumping all over the place. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, so this was uh, an arts and mental health project um, out in Kirkintilloch. It was mm -hmm. called Eastern Bartonshire something mental health. I don't know what the I stood for, but it was called Edict and Creative Therapies, CT. And uh, by that stage in my recovery, I had a lot more confidence. Um, and there was a the counselling element there as well. So later he would, he would also give you a bit of counselling. Um, but this portrait, the self-portrait that I did, um, I got a photo of my favourite place in the world. I dug out an old photo of it, and it's a it's a small river with trees on the bank. And I asked someone to take a photo of me sitting on the curbside outside the building. And I got those two photos, and I kind of matched them together. So I did a portrait of quite a small me beside a big river under a big tree. And I spent not too much time in myself, but oh, I spent ages on that river and trying to capture the colours and the repose on the water and the reflections. And I spent even more time on that tree that I was sitting under. And this tree, it got all this texture, it got all these amazing surreal colours like purples and Golds and um, burgundies and browns, this tree trunk. And when it was finished, um, Colin, the facilitator, said to me, I think that's finished. And I said, Yeah, I do too. And he said, You know that that tree is you, don't you? And I said, Yeah, I know that that tree is me. So it was that was my. My spirit, little me sitting under the tree that was going up because I love trees and I do hug trees, believe it or not. Um, and wherever I go, whenever somebody dies, I always plant a tree in memory of them. So I've got a tree for my mum, I've got a tree for my dad in the big garden. And uh, if I move house, I'll hopefully have a garden where I can plant even just a small tree because I just. And you know the awful thing is when I moved house I do that painting of the skip. 
because I thought, oh, it's not very professional, it's not very good, it's embarrassing to hang it on your wall. And I really regret that now, because it didn't have to be perfect. Um, I've still got the memory of doing it. Um, so it's just the sense of your creativity growing and growing and growing. And the more your creativity grows, the more it's you that's growing. Because um, I didn't know how to do things like cooking or housework. Um, I was so anxious. It was scary to go to the hairdresser. It was scary to get on a bus. It was scary to speak to people. So the more creative I got, the more courage I got. And I can remember um, I made myself a promise that whenever I got on a bus, I would say to the driver, hello. And whenever I got off the bus, I would say, thank you. And that that was a big deal to have the confidence to do that. But it, my, my shoulders were, were back and my head was high when I did it. Um, and I love gardening as another part of my creativity. I was scared to go out and did my garden because there would be neighbours looking at me and I'd feel self-conscious. But I just got to the stage where I thought, you know what, they are going to stare at me and I don't care. And I had this huge big garden, it was all weeds and I thought, I want to dig this all over. So I thought, right, just do it one spadeful at a time and one line at a time and don't worry about the rest of it and that became a huge metaphor for how you deal with problems how you just do one chunk at a time and that garden by the time I finished was absolutely a work of art and dug a pond and this is all part of how your creativity is the expression of yourself and I don't believe that you've got some people were creative and some people are not and that's rubbish. We just all express our creativity in different ways. And sometimes you've got people whose creativity is blocked or they're not listening to it. I believe everyone who expresses their creativity becomes better in how they live, how they feel about themselves. I feel that really strongly and Anything else you want to ask me about that? There's something about the, the process of making small steps through art that's really powerful. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think the thing about art and taking small steps is you can always throw it in your bin if you don't like it. <laughs> There's nothing irrevocable about it. So you can take a small step and write something and you might score through all of it and just keep two words out of a page. And that's okay. And if your painting isn't going well, you can just paint over it and start again. So these are small steps. Um, yeah. And they were tiny because my road of recovery and mental health um, 
it's not been a smooth one and an easy one. I've had struggles. Oh, well, where are we now? I'm nearly 60. And I've got a lifetime of struggle. Um, but, you know, I, there were a couple of other things which I don't really want to talk about because they're quite personal. But survivors of poetry, I think, there at the top. Mm-hmm. How I took these small steps. And then then I started taking quite big steps because I trained as a facilitator. <laughs> and can you imagine this 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 woman who'd been in pieces and couldn't get on a bus. Um mm-hmm. yeah another memory is when I was in that stage where I was scared to dig my garden, I was scared to get on the bus and I was scared to go down the street to get a packet of cigarettes, you know. Um, I forget who it was that said to me, why don't you try volunteering? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And they said, well, you know, a place you could volunteer is GAMH, which, you know, is... Glasgow Association of Mental Health. And the amazing thing is that the psychiatric hospital where I'd bounced in and out of, um, and was to bounce in and out of for many years, it was Woody Lee and it was within walking distance of my house. Um, So I volunteered there, I think, two afternoons a week. And that really built up my confidence. Not that I was doing anything amazing, but, you know, I was helping the paperwork and maybe go with with a worker and just talk to one of the clients, you know, um, or patients, I suppose. And that built up my confidence. And some funding came up to do um, a booklet, because we made booklets. We had a... We had a periodical called Nomad, which was amazing. People would contribute poems to it every month. But we got funding to do another, something different to Nomad. And the idea was that Woodley, the hospital, was closing down. And it was one of these huge old Victorian hospitals. And there were people who'd been patients there for years and years and years. So there were all these memories of it. And um, it was decided, it wasn't my decision, that uh, that funding should go towards making a book, a book of poems, of memories about Moodley. So I helped with... Um, collecting these poems and editing the book and I've still got copies of Goodbye Moodley, you know, it was, some of the poems were just amazing. The emotions that people had and the memories that people had and how traumatic it was for some people for that hospital to close down. And I mean, it's a big housing estate now, but mm-hmm. we still, we still kind of feel like there are ghosts there. Um, but it felt like a really important thing to do to have to have something to commemorate it 
poetry seemed really fitting. Um, so I'm kind of rambling on here, but there's just so no. much stuff. <laughs> no, it's. Um, was that the first time that you heard other people speak openly about their their mental health? Um. Well. Survivor's poetry, yeah, because basically it was open to anyone, but the name Survivor kind of does what it says on the tin. And the English brigade that we teamed up with for that event, they were big on defining themselves as survivors of the mental health system in the sense that um, the mental health system as it was, was broken and oppressive and not a healing place. And I personally could go along with that. But there was also the element of being a survivor of anything traumatic in your life. In Scotland, that was much more the emphasis. So we were, I mean, our poems were very often about trauma that we'd gone through or struggles that we were having. And not always, not always. Sometimes someone just write a beautiful poem about, I don't know, a tree. <laughs> I might write a poem about a tree. Or or some people wrote really funny poems. Um, and some people were very open about their mental health and some people weren't. But it really didn't matter. Um, because there was a real sense of intimacy. So yeah, to answer your question, I think, well, before that, I'd been to group therapy that was organised by the um, mental health system. And so people were open about their mental health and their problems there. And you know what? It was the most awful experience. It was really dreadful and really damaging. Um, and just the very opposite of what survivors' poetry was. Because um, there wasn't freedom and there was a sense of judging and criticising and not feeling supported by your peers. Um, and it didn't go anywhere, it was just a talking shop for how awful you felt. But there was no sense of progress, whereas often if you're writing a poem, you're making progress in your life because you're gaining new insights and you're expressing your, your deepest self. So it wasn't the first time that I'd spoken openly about my mental health, but it's the first time that I'd spoken openly and felt understood and not judged and that it was worth doing because it was going somewhere that was taking me forward. Yeah. And being part of that process with other people, did it matter what society's view or how open society was or positive about mental health and that stigma or um well I guess 
I don't know if it's so much about what other people think, but I think it's a sense of shame that you have. Um, I wasn't aware of stigma in the sense of, I don't know, maybe just feeling excluded because I was different. Maybe that is stigma that I've never thought about before because I have autism. I didn't know that at the time. I just knew that I was a bit different. So I suppose just by virtue of feeling excluded and not one of the gang, maybe that is stigma. I can't say that anyone really ever laughed at me or pointed a finger at me. Um, the big thing I have to say, and I have to say it loud, is that the mental health system didn't help at all. And to this day, I still don't think. It helps me more now, but when I was really ill, it didn't help me. Um, more of an I, endemic uh, problem than... I'm, I'm trying to put it into words, and it's hard to put it into words, but it's a sense that they just don't seem to have any answers. They... Um, CBT will take you so far, but I don't think it will take you particularly far. Um, medication is really important. But I, what I'm going to say is, and it's only the way that I would say it, is it doesn't support you as a spiritual being. And I don't mean a religious being. I mean a living, creative being. And I would call that spiritual. And I think the mental health system is still very mechanistic. And if we have more arts on prescription, sport on prescription, things might shift a little bit. But um, I still feel, well, I have a psychiatrist now and I know that she can't fix me, but I trust her a little bit more now. And she can be a little bit of a support, just a teensy, teensy bit of support. <laughs> and nowadays I can, I can cope with it only being teensy. And I was really ill, I expected that a psychiatrist or CPN would fix me. Truth is, they can't. That's a very bitter pill to swallow. Or I was angry, and I had to process a lot of that anger. We went to, uh, we were invited to a mental health conference. It was organised by the system very much, and why they invited us, I don't know. And they didn't know what they were in for because we just went in guns blazing and tell, told them what we thought of them. <laughs> And they must have been really offended. And I, in particular, wrote a couple of really satirical songs and I brought my guitar. And I look back now and I think, who the hell did I think I was? <laughs> but there was that camaraderie that we thought, yeah, let's do it. Let's just see what we think. Um, well, we were never invited back. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> um, that was the time of care in the community in the, I don't know, late 90s, early 2000s, I don't know, late 90s, I think. And, um, well, I for one was quite sceptical about it because I thought it's just cost-cutting exercise. I still think that now because I look at psychiatric hospitals, they're far too small really to cater for all the people who need to be in them, they're at in beds for really old people. And I do think it's cost-cutting and I don't see all the support in the community that there should be. Um, so I wrote this song uh, about hospitals closing down to the tune of Dancing in the Street. And, and the line was, we'll be thrown out in the street. <laughs> and that's the kind of laughs that we had, but they also had quite a serious point. Um, and there's something about being heard by the system that was really powerful. Um, yeah, so I don't know. What else do you want to know? Were you invited there because of your involvement with the poetry group or did you make a, a plan yourself? Or? No, we were invited as, as a group, as Survivors Poetry. Um, I don't know, they must have thought that we'd do something nice and twee about how wonderful it is to be helped by the mental health services and it'll be heartwarming stories and <laughs> it's not what they got. <laughs> um, maybe they needed to hear it, I don't know, but I look back and I think, oh, how gauche. <laughs> but it was fun. It was, and to be at the stage where, you know, I used to walk around crying all the time, and then to be someone who was having fun within really two or three or four years, that's, that's quite amazing. Not that I was better, but that was a space where I could feel better. And, you know, I would have spells of feeling good. Have spells of feeling bad. But before that, I didn't have any spells of feeling good at all. Um, mm. So it did start me on a journey. But I don't know. I feel like I'm sort of blabbing on here. It must feel like that, but for me, it's more you're touching on lots of different areas that that they're interested in, and um, so it. it I don't think, and there's lots. There's well, I'm hearing lots of sound bites such as um, art on prescription. That's really powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if that if you if that's a a neologism that belongs to you, Ruth, but it should be in the no, dictionary. No, I don't think so. I think I think it exists. A guy called Larry Butler did a lot of work to try and set up arts on prescription. I don't know how far he got, but. But, you know, we still run groups and, and I did, I got the opportunity, I was asked if I wanted to train as a facilitator and wow, for me actually to have the confidence to say yes. So um, I, I did the training and I started facilitating groups and I actually set up 
a local group in my area. And that was really exciting because I felt really powerful actually that I could do that and I, I had the I had the ability to do it and the confidence to do it, you know, to provide you and sort out funding and do publicity and book the room and have weekly meetings and anxiety why anyone turn up. People did turn up and we brought on a Kaylee, which was amazing. Um, and just, it's really moving because you run a group and you don't know who's going to be there and what's going to happen. And I actually felt really confident facilitating it. And there was one woman there who her partner had Alzheimer's and she wrote a poem about him and it was really powerful and moving and I think it helped her certainly was quite unforgettable and there was an older man who was retired and I think just for him to get out and enjoy and write funny poems you know he didn't want to talk about mental health he wanted to be there and just be among people for an afternoon and write something that was really clever and really funny um, and another woman who was where I had been at the start and, you know, she was an older woman, but she just lost all the confidence, I think. She had been in a really bad domestic situation and she got the confidence to come and her poetry was quite raw and really quite hard and I think it really helped her to to get that out mm. um, and nobody was judging and nobody was trying to counsel her everybody was just this is a safe space and when we had a Kaylee she um, she was up there on stage so I was seeing I was supporting people to do what I had done at the beginning and in a way, it had gone full circle. And I just think it's heartbreaking that we lost our funding. I really, really do. Um, and I've spoken to one of the other girls from Survivor's Poetry that I've kept in touch with. And we both said, if we weren't older and if we had more energy, we'd set it up. <laughs> but we're too old now. I'm too old and I'm doing other things. And I, you know, I have physical health problems and I wouldn't be able to do it. But I just hope that there's younger people out there who are listening to this <laughs> and thinking, I want to do this. <laughs> and maybe there is an equivalent. I don't know. I know that the original founder of Survivor's Poetry, I think, he still does writing groups in one of the hospices, which is amazing. So there's that, just that potential. Um, I don't know. I think I told you this amazing big story. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, I don't want to keep you too long because I've been 
you've been speaking to me now for 45 minutes or more than that so wow. I can imagine I don't know it's interesting to listen to but it must be tiring for you to yeah I do well. actually my, my head is spinning it's <laughs> okay um, just to kind of bridge the gap for me because you you went from participant to facilitator um, was that recently or was that no, that was, that was way, when... way back. That was after being in Survivor's Poetry only for two or three years. So it was it was really rapid. And I think that was the strength of Survivor's Poetry was welcoming people, supporting people, and then training people. Because it's to be trained as a facilitator, well, A, you're really empowered, and B, you're spreading you know, you're spreading survivors' poetry. Um, so there were new groups. There was one in Toll Cross. There was the one I did out in Kirkintilloch. And the sense that this was something that could really grow, and it should have grown. It's a tragedy that it was it was cut off just when it was really going places. Um, and that's that's what the cuts are about, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But how did your um, role or the impact it had changed when you went from f participant to facilitator? I can't really remember, except really exciting. <laughs> it was just, I couldn't quite believe it, um, that it was happening. Because I hadn't been able to work, hadn't been able to hold down a job. And here I was, only only maybe two or three hours a week running this group, but all the, all the admin to make it happen. And we produced a booklet, so I did the production and the editing for that. Um, so I, I suppose it was just all part of the process of feeling more and more empowered and useful, feeling I was doing something useful and I was part of society. You know, and if people said to me, what do you do? I said, well, actually, I run writing groups. <laughs> so feeling part of society, not feeling, oh, well, I have mental health problems and I don't work and I don't do anything. You know, so there's that progression. Uh, and I went on from there to do a PhD, you know. So. Really? Yes, really. <laughs> 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 well, you know, you're speaking to a doctor now. <laughs> and that's, doctor, a doctor of writing? Or? Um, of literature, theology and the arts. You know, because okay. I, I spoke to you earlier about being a spiritual being and, and that's something mm -hmm. that I felt wasn't really growing in me that was stuck. And I did the PhD did the masters and then I did the PhD as part of my journey 
I did it for me. It wasn't a career move because I'm too, you know, I'm not well enough to hold down a job and I never will be, but I was well enough to do, to study part time. So it wasn't about, I'm doing a PhD so that people will look up to me or that I'll get a job out of it or I'll get a career. It was about, no, no, I'm doing this. Because um, it's, it's a kind of theological search journey that I'm doing. And that was amazing. Wow. That was incredible too. And, you know, my mental health was very much involved in that as well. Um, and my autism. I ended up writing about my autism and a theology of autism. And uh, I'm now writing the book. <laughs> so the book will be about, it will be a theological voyage of discovery for a woman with autism. Uh, wow. And, you know, that, that couldn't have happened, really. I might, I might have been stuck. I might have thrown myself in the canal. I probably wouldn't have survived. So, wow. Yeah. What an inspiring story. Well, I'm so she lucky. Like... <laughs> I'm so lucky, you know. I don't know how I survived, but I did. And... I have my problems, but I have a good life. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, I feel really privileged to have heard <laughs> so, so much from you. Oh, well, thank you for listening to all that. <laughs> no, thank you for speaking. Really, it's really nice to be able to speak about all that. Yeah. Um, and is just before we close, um, was there anything else that you felt you really wanted to speak about? Just to really urge the voluntary sector to get something like Survivor's Poetry up and running again. That would be my message for a new generation because mental health problems have not gone away. Creative people suffering so we need arts and mental health projects so I would close with it we really really do okay okay thank you thank you